All right. We are in the middle of a series. Of, uh, we're kind of slow walking through the book of Philippians today. We're in chapter one. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, you can. That would be great. And we're at a section where um, Paul faces a dilemma and he talks about it. So that's kind of where we're going to start today. Um, there's this little game. And Dwayne, are you doing this on, on Wednesday night? Something about would you, would you rather? I've got to turn this on first. Would you rather? There we go. Would you rather? Um, it poses these sort of uh, moral or ethical questions about what would you rather do. Um, I'll give you some examples because these are kind of interesting. Uh, would you rather no one come to your wedding or no one come to your funeral? Well, that's you know, kind of a nice thing to think about maybe. Um, would you rather eat sushi or eat liver? Those were your two options. Um, death isn't one of them, but that would be I would just choose to die. Uh, would you rather always have to say everything that's on your mind or never speak again? This is for ladies. Uh, this one. Would you rather be stranded on an island with someone you hate or stranded on an island alone? Wow, that's kind of perplexing. Would you rather give up your computer or give up your pet? I don't have a pet. This one's easy for me. Um, would you rather always be late or always be unprepared? Because that is the option, I think. Uh, would you rather be gossiped about or never talked about at all? Wow. Deep. One more, I think. Would you rather fight Mike Tyson or talk like him for the rest of your life? All right. So these are dilemmas. It's a dilemma. And, and we face more real dilemmas in our lives. Um, there are dilemmas of choice. Um, you're a young couple. You've just gotten married. Uh, maybe you're finishing school or you're in college and, or you're in seminary or whatever and you, you have bills to pay and you have school loans and that sort of thing, but you want to start a family. So there's this dilemma. Do we wait until we're financially able to have kids, to have kids? Because that might mean, you know, we're going to get into our 30s or 40s or we're going to look like the pastor and be that old and have a 10-year-old. And so um, it, there's kind of this dilemma of choice. Sometimes there's the dilemma of uh, emotion. Um, you, you have a beloved pet at your house. You've had this, let's, let's go with a dog. You have this dog and you've loved this dog and now this dog is of ill health and is, um, it, it's not well and the quality of life for this particular animal isn't strong. And so now you're faced with this dilemma of, do I uh, put this animal to sleep? You know, do the thing that's best for the animal, but you know, it's going to break my heart. I mean, we face these sorts of dilemmas. There's the dilemma of, of ge- geography. Um, let, let's say you're from the greatest state in the Union. Um, and it rhymes with Kentucky. And uh, you're from there, but you move to a new place. And you're there for a while, and you find out, they eat cornbread with chili, and it's weird. And you know it's weird, but they don't know it's weird. And, that, and, and so now you're worried, okay, what other weird things do these people believe that really you're whack? And, and, uh, and, and so there, there's this sort of what do I do with that. Dilemmas pull us in two different directions. So today, Paul has this dilemma he he kind of admits hey i'm i'm torn so let's just sort of jump right in um in fact his dilemma is 
Did I, did I skip one? Yeah, yeah. His dilemma is, should I stay or should I go? Uh, I'm going to show you the verse, and then I'm going to show you something. Uh, he says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be better for me. But for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. So his, his dilemma is, should I stay or should I go? In fact, there was a song written about this by The Clash. Do you remember this? Play it. That's what he's saying right there. The Clash were reading this verse when they wrote that song. It's a dilemma. Should I stay? Or should I have to plenty? That's plenty. That's plenty. Yeah. Good. All right. So, should I stay or should I go? That was his whole, his whole idea. Okay. Now, you have to understand. Let, let's sort of rewind just for a second and remember what the situation is for Paul. Paul wrote this letter to a church he had planted and then moved on to do other things. At this particular junction in his life, he had been in prison for about four straight years. Uh, He had been imprisoned uh, on a trumped-up charge. It's not as if he's suffering because of something he had done. He's suffering because he loved Jesus. Now, he, he says these words, I'm torn between these two desires. I long to be with Christ which would be better for me. I mean, he's kind of being honest here. Hey, the best thing for me, he writes this letter to this church, people he loves, the best thing for me would be to go. But for your sake, it's better that I continue to live. Now, he's not talking about self-harm. I mean, we need to understand that. But but he's in a legal battle. And remember, I mean, any of us in this room who have ever just gotten tired, this guy, one would suspect must be tired. He's probably tired of the struggle of the the legal battle. Four years of legal battle. He appealed to Caesar. Now he's in Rome. In Rome, while you're in Rome, he's under house arrest being chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No privacy. He he does have opportunities to write and to preach and those sorts of things, or teach at least. But, I mean, this has to get old. And and so here he has this dilemma. He's just sort of honestly tired. And, and, and when he says, um, I have these two desires, the, the word, the Greek word that's used there, the, the Greeks were, uh, they, they painted kind of word pictures. And the picture is, imagine yourself walking along, taking a hike, and you come upon this area where there's a, a rock wall on one side and a rock wall on the other side, and you walk between these two rock walls. We have an expression, it's between a rock and a hard place. This is what he's saying, is I'm between a rock and a hard place. And then he goes on. Um, he, I'm torn between these two desires. Uh, I long to go be with Christ, which would be better. And we, we talked about this. So the, the dilemma is, should I go? Now, the Bible tells us that to think about death makes sense. Look at this. Better to spend your time at funerals. Then at parties, after all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Now, what a really, really odd verse this is. Hey, um, it's better to think about death than it is to think about life. But what he's saying is, Solomon, smartest guy who ever lived, says, hey, you should take account, you should take stock of your life. Uh, in my car... I have a little sticker on the top left-hand corner of my windshield. Does anybody know what that's for? What's it there for? 
Oil change, right. So they write on there, you should change your oil every, what, 3,000 miles, I think it is. So they put it on there so you remember. Now, my, my car also has, like when you change your oil, there's something on the dash, and they push a little button, and it resets to 99%. And then when it gets low, that little signal signals to me too. I can ignore the signal on the top of my windshield. I can ignore that one because I'd have to actually look at it, and you sort of forget it's there. But when it comes on the dash and it says change oil soon, that gets your attention, right? There, there's, it's like now twice I have this opportunity to know that something needs to be done. And so here we have Solomon saying, hey, the reason you need to think about this is because every person has a shelf life. If I don't change the oil in my car, my, my car stops working. I've got to do this. I don't like doing it. I don't like paying somebody to do it. I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy the expense. But I know if I want to keep driving, I've got to do that. Well, Solomon was saying, and Paul in our letter today was saying, listen, um, death is inevitable. Solomon, hey, death is inevitable. It's going to happen. And it makes sense to think about it before it happens. In fact, somebody said you're not really ready to die unless, or you're not ready to live unless you're ready to die. You have to figure out this, there's going to be an ending point in this life of ours. Every one of us. The older I get, the closer I am, and the older you get, the closer you are to the end point. But I think the older I get, the more I think about, you know, this can't go on forever. I've got an 88-year-old aunt who uh, is of been of great health all of her life until just recently. And she's lived a long time. And I have a grandmother who lived into her 90s. And my mom is 83. And so part of my DNA is good to go, right? But then my dad died at 67 of a heart attack. So I don't know which I got. You know, I don't know which, one I'm, which, uh, which way I'm going to trend. And so the Bible, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says to us, Hey, this is something you should think about. So today we're going to think about it. We're going to kind of force ourselves to talk about death, which is something we don't love. Maybe it's not something we care to think about too much. However, it makes some sense. The Bible talks about death in lots of different ways. Uh, it uses different expressions. Uh, Abraham was said that when he died, he was gathered to his people. I, I kind of like that because, you know, we all have people. Uh, Y'all have redneck people. That's your people, right? I'm, I'm kind of redneck people. That's us, right? My, my Kentucky people, those are my people. You know how that works. Um, death is often called sleep. Paul talked about death as a departure, like it was, you know, you're getting on a train going from one place to the next. He also talked about uh, pitching a tent and pulling up tent stakes and going to a new place. Now, death is probably one of people's greatest fears. Um, there's a study out uh, on this. The greatest fear people have, number one fear of Americans, is public speaking. Number two fear of Americans is death, which is kind of interesting to me. Seinfeld used to say, that means that at a funeral, people are more scared to give the eulogy than to be in the coffin. Uh, I'm not sure that's true. Um, but there's this fear of death. And so we're going to talk about how to face fear. Because we can face fear if we face the facts of death. We can face the fear of death if we face the facts of death. So what are the facts? Let's look at it. All right, number one. It is inevitable for everyone. 
you received a program when you came in, there's an outline. This is our first blank. It's inevitable for everyone. Hebrews 9, 27. Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgments. Each person is dead. It kind of blows reincarnation out of the water. Um, already this, in fact, every day some 6,000 people go from this existence to the next in the world. 6,000 a day. Um, it, it's kind of remarkable. If you think about it, it is inevitable for everyone. I heard about one undertaker who signed all of his letters, eventually yours. Uh, it's kind of a <laughs> pretty, pretty clever. People ask, well, why do we die? Well, um, because we were never created to last forever in this body of ours. In this broken body, in this flawed body, in this sinful body, in this sin-filled world. And as you look at the world, some of us are saying, well, that's kind of good. You know, um, every time change Sunday, I'm asking the Lord to come that day. You know, it's like, oh, my word, I'm going to lose an hour. Lord, just come today. This would be a good day. And so it's inevitable for everyone. Second thing is it could happen at any moment. James once said, uh, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. If, if James had lived in South Carolina, he, he would have written, your life is like the morning snow. It's here for like a second and then it's gone. Because this snow really doesn't last very long. It's, you're here today, gone tomorrow. That's kind of how it works. And, and it's inevitable for everyone and it happens at any moment. Nobody can really plan for this particularly. You probably know that old story about the two, the two guys who love baseball. Bill and George, and they're talking about baseball, and they're great baseball fans, and they go watch a lot of baseball, and they kind of get in this theological discussion about, is there baseball in heaven? You know, that, that discussion. And, and so they make this agreement that, hey, you know, if you pass away first, try to come back and tell me, and if I pass away first, I'll come back and tell you if there's baseball in heaven. And so on the course of time, Bill passes away, and George is kind of wondering if he's going to come back and tell him. It's kind of an odd thing. By the way, it didn't work this way. But one night, George is asleep, and Bill appears to him in a dream, and he says, man, there is baseball in heaven. This is just, it's great news, right? There's baseball in heaven. The fields are manicured, and it, these are great games, and it's, it's just really, really sweet, and it's, I mean, you're going to love it. And George is like, that's cool, and and Bill said, well, the bad news, that's good news. The bad news is you're, you're starting pitcher this Friday. So, you know, there's, there's this, okay, yeah, it's coming up. And James says, hey, your life is like the morning fog, and, and you never know when it's going to happen. Death is inevitable for everyone, and you really don't know when it's going to happen. There's a third fact about death. Death will take you to one of two locations. Heaven or hell. Now, we don't really love talking about death, and we usually don't use the word he died. We'll say stuff like he passed away or um, uh, he expired, something like that. We, we kind of use a different word because to say, you know, he died sort of seems abrupt. Well, as, as much as we don't like to talk about death, we doubly don't like to talk about hell. And it's almost as if we live in a modern skeptical world that we've sort of evaporated hell. We kind of don't like the notion of it, so we just don't talk about it. We, we don't like to think about it, so we just sort of put it out of our minds, and we certainly don't talk about it often. 
The problem is, as people of faith, is that Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about it a lot. He he didn't say it's not true. In fact, Jesus warned people that this was really true. In in fact, uh, Pew Research, look at this. 72% of Americans believe in heaven, but only 58% believe in hell. It's interesting. And 75% thought they would go to heaven, while only 2% believed they would go to hell. We don't like to think about it. We don't even like to believe in it, and we sure don't think we're going to go there. Now, as a pastor, I have an obligation. As, as a, a shepherd of sheep, as a, a, a pastor of a flock of folk, um, it's my obligation to tell you the truth, to speak truth in love. Um, it's, it's like this. Let's say I had a Taco Bell craving at 3 o'clock in the morning because they have those new taco shells made out of chicken. Have you seen those? Who invented that? That's, that's like penicillin. I, I mean, it's like one of the greatest things ever. Uh, a taco shell made of chicken. It's brilliant. I don't know who came up with that. Brilliant. So, I go on a Taco Bell run, 3 a.m. I get my chicken taco shell taco. I'm driving home. I pass your house. I notice there's a flame coming out of the kitchen window. Now, what should I do? Should I, I mean, it'd be rude to wake you up it's 3 in the morning, for goodness sakes. I, I mean, that's really rude. Or, or should I perhaps maybe pull over, come to your door, and try to rouse you so that you can get out of a burning fire? This is the position we are put in as pastors a lot of times. We have an obligation to tell you the truth, even if you don't like to hear the truth. Truth is, there's a place called hell. Now, what's interesting are many people are banking on the good works plan to get them into heaven. In fact, three out of four Americans believe that if you're good enough, you go to heaven. It is a, it is a great idea. It's not true, but it's nice. If I'm good enough, the problem is how good, who gets to set the standard? You don't get to set your own standard. If you're good enough, you get to go to heaven. The problem is Jesus never said that. In fact, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't, unfortunately, give us this option of being good enough. He he says, no one, no exceptions, nobody's good enough except through me. These are the words of Christ. Jesus talked about, um, in, in Matthew 25, it says, And they will go away, they, the wicked, will go away into eternal punishment. Jesus acknowledges the reality that there's a place called hell. We don't like it. We don't like to talk about it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Now here's the good, good news. We're going to kind of linger here just for a few minutes. The good news is the fourth fact. And that is Jesus not only made a way, but he is the way for anyone and everyone to go to heaven. There's no desire on God's part for anyone to go to hell. In fact, he made a way. Look at this verse. Jesus said, I am the one who raises the dead to life. Everyone who has faith in me will live, even if they die. And everyone who lives because of faith in me 
will never really die. Jesus talks about this a great deal. Uh, about the difference between heaven and hell. About following him as a way of getting to heaven. Paul talks about it too. In 2 Corinthians it says, Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies and then we will be at home with the Lord. Now that's pretty strong language. We are fully confident. Fully confident. That means, I have no doubt, this is how it works. The Bible teaches us that if, uh, when, when a, a follower of Christ dies, the body goes into the grave, but the spirit goes to be with the Lord. Uh, I'd rather uh, be away from these physical bodies, for then we will be home with the Lord. Pretty clear teaching. He has no doubt about it. Now, the truth is the experience of death may be uh, not pleasant, but the outcome can be pleasant. You get to go home to be with the Lord. I'll give you a, an example. Women are quick to tell us men how painful it is, uh, childbirth, how painful childbirth is. They talk about the pain of childbirth. As if, if you're in the room, offering support, watching the whole thing, isn't painful as well. I, I just want you to know, uh, as a, a father who's been in there four times, uh, it hurts us too. I, I don't want you to know that. I want to be sensitive, but still. So, Women will say, oh, the, the pain of childbirth, it's, it's very difficult, it's, it's hard, yada, yada. And then, but then they say this, they say this. But when they hand me my baby, I, I know suddenly it was worth it. You ever heard these conversations, had these conversations? There was pain, but it was worth it. I'm not sure it's the greatest analogy of death entering heaven. I don't know that you're even going to be... You may not have pain when you die. But there's a crossing over from one place, one existence to the next. And Paul says, for me, living means living for Christ. But dying is even better. There's this life and I get to be productive. But when I get to die, when I die and I get my reward in heaven, that, for Paul, was something he considered even better. The Bible talks about heaven as this amazing place. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I, I mean, I, <laughs> this is a super amazing verse for those of us who love Jesus, who have given him our hearts who can look forward to heaven as a destination for when we die. I mean, there's no tears, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no death. It, it sounds like a, a pretty good place. It sounds like a pretty awesome place where we get to go and say, so long to sorrow. We get to say, uh, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. There was an event in Paul's life. He, he was, there, there's sort of a debate, there's theological debate around this, but in the book of Acts it talks about a time where a certain community took him out of town and as was Jewish tradition, they took stones and they, they didn't like his message so they, they literally stoned him to death. 
Now, it says they drug him out of town. They stoned him. He, he resuscitated. There's this debate on whether he died and came back or if he was really just unconscious. But, but Paul talks about this as he entered, he talks about this in language, he entered the seventh heaven. We, we hear that language sometimes, but Paul was kind of the first to talk about it. And he says that it was so great, he was pro- prohibited from talking about it. Really kind of, it's interesting and odd at the same time. That, that heaven, his, his vision of heaven was so spectacular that, I, I mean, I've heard preachers say, maybe it was so awesome that if he described it, everybody would want to go there now. It, it's not a place to fear. So if we have our houses in order, as Paul did, I mean, he was a great follower of Christ. He knew where he was going when he died. You can imagine that if you're suffering and if you're chained to a guard 24 hours a day and if you've experienced emotional stress, that this would be pretty appealing. That going to a place where there's no pain and no sorrow and no fear, this would be pretty appealing to him. You can imagine that. People wonder about heaven. It's a little vague in Scripture. Let's talk about it like this some, but it's a place that Paul wanted to be. If you've been around any time at all, sometimes older couples, one of them will pass away. And, and there's a sadness in the spouse's the eyes of the spouse who's left because the person that they love isn't there anymore. And you can talk to them about this, and if they were believers, they talk about going to be with somebody they love. You, you, you hear that some. I, I think Paul was at a place in his life where he was just imagining what it would be like to be with Jesus, to, to be in heaven, to be kind of free from the struggles of life. And the cool thing about heaven for us is we get to choose. We have a choice. I, I can choose to go there. Jesus made a way. If we give our hearts and our lives to him, he, he offers this as a free gift to us. I like, I like the way Max Lucado talks about it. He said, we can't choose the weather. We can't control the economy. We can't choose whether or not uh, uh, we are born with a big nose or blue eyes or lots of hair. We can't even choose how people respond to us. But we can choose where we spend eternity. The big choice God leaves to us. I think the appeal for Paul in this text today was... Hey, I can go be with the one I love, with Jesus. I can be free from physical pain and, and my loss of freedom. and My loss of, I mean, if you're chained to a, a person 24 hours a day, privacy, my, my loss of, of these things. But, but and, and he makes the point, it, it is better for you if I stay. The things he was, he were, he was doing, well, he was... He was writing letters like this one that we're looking at. And I don't know if Paul understood that writing from jail would be read 2,000 years later in, in a little church in South Carolina. I don't know if he understood that. But he wrote letters and he witnessed to the guards that he was chained to. 
and he taught people that came to, to hang out with him. I mean, both choices made sense to him. Uh, death is better for me, but I understand that living is kind of cool too. And so ultimately, what he does is he lets God decide. Do any of you lack wisdom? Ask God for it. He is generous and enjoys giving to everyone, so he will give you wisdom. And so Paul, just let God decide. He, he sort of let, let God decide. My friend Marina and I had a conversation just a little while ago about prayer. What do you pray? When you pray, what are you praying for? Are you just thanking God or are you asking God? And it's a little bit of both. There's certainly asking. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, went to a garden called Gethsemane. He went in with his disciples. He took Peter, James, and John, his sort of inner circle, and they went a little further into the garden and they prayed. And Jesus prays to be relieved of this task of dying for the sins of the world. You and I have never been tasked like that. And Jesus prays. Um, they came to the place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here and, while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John, and they went a little further in. And he was troubled and distressed, and he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup of suffering from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus faced the dilemma. Now, people wonder, why did he take Peter, James, and John? Was it for moral support? Was it encouragement? I suspect Jesus wanted Peter, James, and John to see and for us to know that sometimes the best you can do is just say, God, your will. I have a desire. This is what I would like to see happen. Uh, if, if it was my choice, I would choose this. But ultimately, your will. Your will. Paul, Paul writes about it a little bit too in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. <laughs> it's pretty simple theology. What he's saying is it goes, you lay it in God's hands. Now what's interesting is, it, 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 he says here, um, then the experience is... Uh, Tell God what you want, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds. And his peace will guard your hearts, guard your hearts. It's a word that they used for a sentry who would walk around um, the perimeter of a fort and guard and, and make sure it was safe. And when we trust in the Lord, then he guards our hearts. Now, the issue for many of us is turning the reins over to God is difficult because it requires humility. We live in a world where there's a lot of us who are kind of take charge. I'll do it myself. I'll figure it out on my own. Salvation isn't something we do on our own. We, we can't figure it out ourselves. In fact, the Bible tells us, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You can't lift yourself up in honor. And so we see what Paul's decision is, ultimately. 
But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. So he makes a decision. Again, it wasn't about self-harm. A lot of people believe he was sort of saying, he was wondering aloud, do I just need to give up my legal battle? Maybe I just submit, you know, I tap out, I'm done, I'm kind of done with this. I I can't do it anymore, I'm just going to tap out. But he says, you know what, it's it's as if a a light bulb, it's kind of interesting to read his thoughts here. He's saying, man, you know, death is, there's a real appeal for me to dying. But, for your sake, I can see where, you know, staying around might be better. And then he says, okay. It is better that I continue to live. I've got some stuff God still wants me to do. And I don't know how God made that clear to him. Maybe through prayer. Through prayer, Paul received this answer. You know, Lord, hey, um, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of ready to be done. I'm ready to tap out. And God says, not, not yet, just not yet. I've got a little bit more for you to do. And so Paul was like, okay, then I'm not going to tap out. Some of us, we, we have situations in our lives where it, it could be, I don't know, in business. It could be in a marriage. It could be in some other sort of relationship. And we feel as if we've kind of done all we can do. And we're ready to tap out. We're, we're, we're done. We're ready to just sort of be done with this. And I wonder how many times we we quit before God wants us to be finished. We we give in or we give up just because we want to. Not particularly because we've heard God's voice who says to us it's okay to quit. Now, I think there are times where God gives us permission to be done. But I think a lot of times we just start done on our own. This text today, Paul gives us sort of this window, or this opening, this uh, visual of his soul. I, I, one of the things I love about Scripture is how honest it is. I mean, if Paul were a superhero guy, he, he would it would have said something like, you know, I never really have wanted to, never felt compelled to give up. I've never, I've always been strengthened by God. I've never been, uh, you know, uh, never had any ambition to just leave. I, I never wanted to just run because I'm brave and strong. And I, I like that Paul is just honest. Man, for me to live as Christ and to die is better. I mean, it's better for me better i've been thinking about it a little bit i'd like to you know be done with this this is getting old i've been beaten a bunch of times i've been shipwrecked i've been you know talked about i've been lied about nobody likes me i'm chained to a guy 24 hours a day this is getting old 
death is better than this. But, <laughs> for your sakes, God tells me it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced, I'm certain that I'll remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Oh, what a great... <laughs> for me, being done is better. But man, I get it. For you guys, I need to stay around. And when I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ. There's no evidence that Paul ever returned to Philippi. We, we don't know that that ever happened. In fact, it's likely that it didn't. But he had hope. He had hope. All right, let's review. You overcome the fear of death by facing the facts of death. It's inevitable, and it's inevitable for everyone. And it could happen at any time. Walking out the door before we take up the offering. It's just inevitable, and it could happen any time. And death ultimately leads, ultimately leads to either heaven or hell. These are our only two options. So there's no, I mean, you don't get to go to Arkansas. You, you go to heaven or hell, which is hell. Uh, you know, one of the two. But the good news, fourth point, best thing, Jesus made a way. When I was seven years old, Pastor, Brother Hedgepeth, came to my living room at my house, 722 Maple Avenue. I, I still remember it, seven years old. When you're this age and you can remember something, anything, when you're young, that's really... I can't remember where I put my keys half the time, but I can remember when I was seven years old, Brother Hedgepeth came to my house. We sat on the couch together and he talked to me about the free gift of salvation. That Jesus died for my sins and all I had to do was accept this free gift. And I'll never forget it. He had a nickel, a nickel. Inflation, this would have to be like a 20. Uh, but he had a nickel. And he, or maybe it was a dime. It was a, it was a nickel, cheapskate. Uh, anyway, um, Brother Hedgeman said, this, I want to give you this nickel. All you have to do is take it. And seven-year-old boy, nickel was gold. And so I took it. And he said, this is the same way with salvation. A gift and it's free, and you don't have to give it back. You just have to take it. And I remember at seven years old getting on my knees, and Brother Hedspeth, I'd been around church all my life. My mom and dad, my daddy was a deacon, my mom was a WMU chairman. I mean, we were in church all the time, three three times a week. That was when we had two week revivals every every night. I mean, I, I knew church, I knew all of it. Brother Hedgeman said, do you know how to pray a prayer? And I remember praying a prayer, and it was super simple because I was seven. Lord, I know I mess up, and I'm sorry, and I want you to forgive me and take control of my life. Seven-year-old little boy. Greatest decision of my life. J Jesus made it so simple for us. We want to complicate things, make it complex. It's not complex. We are sinners in need of a Savior. 
Jesus is a Savior who died for sinners. We accept his forgiveness, and we accept his control in our lives. It's not complicated. We can face the fear of death because the fact of death is Jesus made a way for us to go to be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message, for your words. We're thankful that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us. We're thankful, Father, that it's so simple. And no matter how bad I've been, no matter what I've done, you sent your son to die for all of us. The degree of sin, the level of sin makes no difference because Jesus' forgiveness is for everybody and anybody. And we pray, Lord, that we would be mindful of the fact that death isn't something to fear. It's something to look forward to for us who know you, who've given you our lives. Father, help us stop struggling so much to live another day. Help us to, to struggle to live for you another day. It'd be really awesome if we could say like Paul does, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We thank you that you give us that opportunity. Paul's a great example, but he's not the only one that can do that. We're thankful that you let us live that kind of life as well. We love you and we thank you for your sacrifice of your son for us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.